This is Karen from Time Genies. We know time is our most precious commodity, so let Time Genies help you with tasks such as home organising, small business cleaning, relocation services and lots more. My team of high quality and trusted professionals is your one-stop shop for your personal and corporate needs. Let us help you reduce stress and give you time to do the things you want to do, making memories. Check the Time Genies website for more info. Go to www.time-genies.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This is Alan Jackson, co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival held every September. Uh, we have one coming up soon. With me as the co-host here is the co-producer, co-director, co-founder, all those co's I mentioned earlier. The other co of that is Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Looking forward to talking about some movies. Once again, we are still in... Uh, we are still in quarantine mode here, recording remotely across the internet here, the two of us. Uh, it's been a while since we've been physically in the same studio to record these shows, Chris. We've, That's true. Uh, you know, we'll see if that, that happens soon or not. We'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, at least thanks to technology, we can still talk and, and share our movie reviews and movie news like we always do on our ongoing show here. This is Foot Candle Films, where we do talk about films, of course, as you can imagine from the title. But we also have some movie reviews where we talk about a couple of upcoming or latest releases that we want to talk about that we recently caught up with. We'll also go into a little bit of movie news after a break. And then we'll end the show with our recommendations of the episode, where Chris and I both share a film that we feel like may be worth revisiting or just a worthy discussion to some degree, to some degree, especially if the film is available online, something you can watch from the comfort of your own home. So with that, Chris, we do have two films we're going to be discussing today. We're going to be discussing the latest Netflix film, a film that was going to be released in theaters, but then got picked up by Netflix instead and premiered on Netflix called The Lovebirds, starring Issa Rae and Kamali Nanjali. Then we've also got one that premiered directly to, to online video. It is the fourth in the trip series. It's called The Trip to Greece, starring Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan. So those will be the two films we'll be reviewing, again, followed by some movie news. And then we'll do our recommendations at the end. So Chris, you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right, let's jump into our first review, which is the film The Lovebirds. You are unbelievable. Like love has finally found me. I love you. Police officer, he's a criminal. Move, move, move. I want to know I love you. Justice. Oh my God. 
dead. We, we know he's dead, but we didn't kill him. He like to report a murder or whatever. We didn't murder anybody. One, two, three, go. No. What? Jabron! Okay, the guy's name is Jabron. Run, Leilani. And the girl's name's actually Leilani. Shit. She's running too now. Kind of slow, like she's wearing heels that look actually amazing. I love it, I would trust in 2017, I first became aware of Kamel Nanjiani, like many others, by seeing him in the dramedy The Big Sick that was based on how Camille met his wife and dated her when she contracted a mysterious illness. And kind of, you know, it was a drama, but yet it had elements of comedy in it. I did see his cinematic follow-up, Stuber, in 2019, where he was an Uber driver who gets dragged along by a police detective on a series of misadventures. With The Lovebirds, we have Nanjiani in his third film, paired with actress Issa Rae. Like Suber, this one is a more straightforward comedy with action elements. Alan, I believe I recall you're a fan of The Big Sick. I think you skipped Stuber. Do you wish you'd passed on The Lovebirds, or do you think this Netflix premiered, premiered film is worth checking out? Well, all right, so on The Big Sick, I did like the big sick, but I did feel like it was maybe a bit overrated by the time I saw it because it was getting ah, so much praise. Okay. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good, um, but I didn't really go over the moon for it like a lot of other critics did. I'm much more of a fan of, of Nanjali from uh, Silicon Valley, the HBO okay. TV show that he was on for many years. I've always been a fan of his. I think he's a really uh, a great comedic actor. And I did like him in The Big Sick because it was nice where he got to see him balancing his comedy chops with some more dramatic work. Did not see Stuber. Um, everything I've heard, I'm not too heartbroken about that. I think that was probably a, an okay one for me to miss. Right. But I'm very familiar with with Kamal's work. And so that, uh, I'm generally drawn to anything he's doing. And I do feel like even knowing that he's queued up right now to be in a Marvel film, coming yes. out uh i think later this year if i remember correctly the eternals maybe I mean, who knows right, right right sometime in the foreseeable future sure so i'm excited to see him in a very very different role in that film i forgot to mention um in the setup the director for this film also directed him in the big sick which was michael showalter so i forgot yeah. to mention that so the premise, the setup, this idea of an action comedy, that kind of a mistaken identity and to a couple on the run, especially a couple that just, I mean, this is not a spoiler in the opening 10 minutes of the movie, break up or breaking up. So I love the premise. Uh, it's a tried and true premise. It's one that I kind of like when it works as a formula, this whole idea of a couple that maybe are estranged at the time or kind of an odd couple type of situation or just two people at very interesting times in their lives being thrust into a more criminal, dramatic situation and having uh, come some comedy along with some action and chases and other things involved. I, I was looking forward to it. And I do like Michael Showalter as a director as well. Okay. Um, I know him from being a stand-up comedian or, or a sketch comedy actor in uh, the state many years ago, and then also doing the Wet Hot American Summer films, uh, both the theatrical one and those series that went to Netflix on that. So all the pieces are in place. I will say I was not familiar with Issa Rae. I knew who she was, but I had not seen her in anything. I think the film Little was probably about the only other film I'm aware of that she was in I did not get to see. And I know she has a show on HBO as well. Um, so all the components were there, Chris, to really make me want to like this movie. And in general, I guess I did like it. Uh, it's a really lukewarm like in that 
It was a serviceable film. It did what it needed to do. It had enough laughs to at least keep me watching it. And I do think the two leads were really engaging and fun to watch. I think both of them are really good comedic actors and played off each other really well. I bought their relationship throughout the film. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it was it was a pretty run-of-the-mill, just simple action comedy movie. There wasn't a whole lot more to it. There are a couple scenes I can call out where I thought it was a little, they were a little clever and they had some fun moments with this mistaken identity and kind of uh, putting them into very treacherous situations and how they played off of it. But again, if it wasn't for the two leads, I probably wouldn't have a whole lot to recommend off of this film. Um, it's it, it, it checked the boxes of what it needed to do to be a romantic action comedy. It did that. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad it came out on uh, Netflix instead of it being a big theatrical release, because I think it's a much better film to just kind of uh, enjoy in the comfort of your own home without putting a whole lot of thought into it. Um, but overall, I say I'll give it a, a generally a pass. I think it was it was fine. But again, it was it was all about Ninjali and Isa Ray is kind of the two reasons for me to watch this. So how, how about you, Chris? What's your thoughts on it? So, you know, I kind of alluded to the fact that I've seen Stuber. And uh, that cleverly titled movie, there's Nanjiani plays Stu and he drives an Uber. And that's, that's about the plot of the movie. Um, wow. That was yeah. really how the title came about. It was absolutely, he was Stu and, and he, he was an Uber an driver. Uber, so they wow. said Stuber. Man, maybe I do need to go back and catch up with that film after all. So you're, um, you're selling it to me now. All so. Right. All right. So, you know, that film, you know, I saw it in a the theater and I really like Nanjiani and Dave Bautista, who's, you know, I know him from the Guardians of the Galaxy films. You know, he got to play kind of a different, more straight up forward comedy. You know, it's just, it worked. He was a big cop, but yet he got to be funny. And the movie didn't really work just because, and it wasn't the fault of the actors. It just didn't really have a lot to do. They just kind of like would throw situations at them and they were funny, but then it wasn't really written that well and it just didn't really gel well. So, but you know, it was a theatrical release, which Lovebirds was supposed to be, but like you mentioned, it just went to Netflix. And for me, that's kind of how Net Lovebirds works is because it is a Netflix. So you haven't, you know, thrown 10 to $15 to go see it as a theatrical release. Your expectations are already a little lower. Um, you mentioned the formulaic nature, kind of a couple that starts out, kind of headed towards the rocks and they, you know, unite and bond through this misadventures, but then ultimately it resolves and things are okay. It's kind of tried and true, but as you mentioned, it's the two leads, their chemistry on the screen, their comic timing with one another that works. And yeah. that needs to work for the movie to work and the movie works. Okay. It works mm -hmm. better, definitely better than Stuber. <laughs> um, yeah. And some of the touches that they had in there, yeah, a lot of this stuff is just, it's just so convenient and you're just kind of like, okay, as if these things would really work out the way they're working out to move the plot forward. Yeah. But it's a comedy. They're not trying to win Oscars with this thing. So you accept that, you know, it's a fun kind of turn your brain off type thing. Some of the callbacks that they do, such as like a countdown to initiate a certain action or mentioning the amazing race and having debates about that mm -hmm. and reality TV versus the merits of it. <laughs> um, and even something as simple as kind of acknowledging the fact that this movie is very surface and is not trying to be very deep. 
there are two different characters in the movie that they refer to as <laughs> bicycle or mustache, and mm-hmm. that's it. They don't try to get yeah. their names. They just, but they refer to them often as these names, and that to me was just funny because it's just yeah, dismissing it, it as yes, this is nothing but a plot device. <laughs> um, well, there so, were enough clever moments in the film like that, like the naming of the characters and how they refer to them. Because again, you think about it, you're, you're with your significant other, you're out and you meet somebody and that's kind of how you would refer to them if you don't know their name. It's like, well, you know, the guy on the bicycle or right. the guy with the big mustache. Right. And I like that they played with that. There are a couple of moments where they do something a little inventive. Like I'm thinking about in particular one scene where they have to break into an apartment. Yes. And as they're in the apartment, there's some activity going on in the other room you're able to see what's happening in the foreground while you're also understanding what's happening in the background where they don't know. And just some of the ways those are played out and build some tension up. I thought were some nice moments that made it enjoyable enough to keep my attention throughout the film. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think we're kind of on the same page with this so far. Um, and in the setup, I, I kind of mentioned how basically the couple's together, but they unintentionally get involved in kind of a murder mystery type thing. And mm-hmm. so the film has spent them running around trying to dodge the police and trying to figure out why this guy was murdered and why he was set up or all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it it works well enough. Um, I will say something that was kind of interesting Mm -hmm. was the treatment, the treatment of the investigators once they got them and started questioning them, kind of how that all worked Mm -hmm. was, was interesting. It was kind of a nice, nice twist. Well, I was going to say without spoiling the ending, I thought, I thought they did a pretty good job of handling something that I typically will have a problem with in films like this is the whole question of, well, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just call the cops? Why don't they just do this? And I think they did a pretty good job of addressing during the film why they felt like they couldn't. And then I right. love the fact that by the end, you actually kind of find out their their reasons, while good reasons, were kind of unfounded. <laughs> and, you know, so again, I, I like the way that progressed because a lot of times with these, these action thriller comedies, you kind of wonder, it's like, why didn't that guy just go call the police or go report this? And they, they do a pretty good job early on of saying, this is why we don't feel like we can do this. And they play it up pretty well. And again, by the end, the resolution I thought was, was nice and uh, was kind of a little refreshing change. So yeah, it had enough of those kind of moments and changes from what you expect to keep it interesting if it hadn't been for the two leads and some of those interesting touches they made, the movie would have been pretty, pretty flat, pretty dull and pretty routine. I think. What did you think of, and it, I'll reveal my, or what I thought of it in a second, but I want to hear what you thought of kind of the, I'm assuming it was an obvious reference to the Kubrick eyes wide shut element <laughs> of the film. Yeah. What'd yeah. Yeah. No, it was absolutely a call to that. And I dug it because I mean, when they got to that point of the film and you figure out what's what they're getting themselves into, it's like, oh, okay, this is not, a, not quite what I expected, but this is kind of fun. Um, I felt like that whole scene, though, it was exciting to get into it. I just felt like it felt like it kind of limped to a finish. It just really didn't give a whole lot of, there wasn't a lot of interest to it. It's like it had a lot of setup and then it just kind of dissipated and then you kind of limped into a really, lightweight ending nothing I, I don't know you you've had some great little chases you had some car chases you had some uh fighting and scenes of, of tension and kind of a hostage torture situation yeah a lot of interesting things then you get to this interesting party 
And I felt like this is where it could have been your big finish. And it just kind of wimped out, you sure. know, a little bit on that, but um, it was still fun. When, when the mass started coming out, I, I kind of said, Oh, this is, they're taking an interesting turn and I kind of dig it. So. Yeah. I'd, I think to me, it bothered me a little bit because it seemed to be so on the nose, kind of a oh, Kubrick ripoff and then the payoff kind of wasn't there, but I will say there was like a reference within a reference that I, that made me say, okay, you know, this is kind of cool, I guess, was you could tell it the kind of party they were going to with the masks and everything. But at one point before they go into like a theater area, there's a long white bar and it looks very similar to like the bar in the shining, except there's a lot of white yeah. being involved, but there's like this long bar and the angles they take on it. So it was like, they were kind of referencing the bar and the shining. And I was like, okay, well, they're trying to, you know, kind of a reference within a reference. I'll give it a pass. I don't know. <laughs> Well, but kind of but I almost wonder though, Chris, because it seems like nowadays, anytime you want to talk about a high society party where this kind of activity is going on, it's almost like they're all look meant to look like Eyes Wide Shut now. Sure. So it almost like Eyes Wide Shut sets a standard of what these kind of parties are supposed to look like. And whether you're trying to, to pay homage to Kubrick or not, it's almost like well, no, this is the way these parties look because this is the way we now feel like they're supposed to be represented in film. And that's what we get, the same kind of mask and capes and everything else. So right. I don't know. I don't know how much of it was homage to Kubrick and how much of it was just, well, this is the way these parties are supposed to look, right? I mean, this is the way we're supposed to put them on film to look cool. So I don't know. It's just um, kind of an easy shorthand, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I will say, uh, is Ray. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed with, I, I mean, again, she's not someone I've seen a lot of her work, but I thought she really held her own. She was great. I thought she uh, um, was really kind of fun to watch and, and she knew what kind of film she was in and she played it really well. And uh, now granted, Kamali Nanjali, he's playing very, very similar to the same character I've always seen him play. Even his character in, in uh, Silicon Valley is very, very similar to mm -hmm. all the roles I've ever seen him play. Okay. But he plays it so well. So again, I, I don't mind it because I like him a lot. So the two of them together just really worked. But uh, I'm really kind of interested to see what other things Isaray has done because I thought she was really, she was really sharp in this. So did a great job. It also kind of, I mean, you know, it's silly to say it bothered me, but I had seen Stuber where he is an Uber driver, and in this film because of circumstances, they end up taking Lyft everywhere. So it's like, what is it with all his movies now where he's got to be centered around public transportation using he's like being co car by ride sharing apps. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So I don't know, like whatever a third ride sharing service is, are they going to back his next movie? I, I don't know. But I thought that, I mean, Grant, he wasn't the driver in this, but they like, I don't yeah. know, still taking Play lifts everywhere. It's bothersome. Cool. Well, yeah. So the Lovebirds, I thought it was a good passable enjoyable film it didn't do anything revolutionary it, it didn't like really jump out at me and make me call back to too many moments too too quickly it was a fine enjoyable film that again i think would have been much more problematic if it hadn't been for the two leads and uh you know i think somebody going into this after watching the big sick and thinking same director same lead actor it's probably going to come away from this pretty disappointed because it, it it's not striving for anything deeper there's no there's no nuance to this film. It is pretty right. much a, on the surface, this is what you're getting. Two people thrown into a, a a criminal situation and having to go through a whole night of escapades to clear their name. Right. It is pretty much on the surface, that's what you're getting. 
Um, but I do think the two leads at least give us enough of a sense of a relationship to make it fun to watch and to follow along these two. And, uh, and they do enough, uh, like we already mentioned in the review, a couple more creative moments or a couple little interesting twists that keep it, keep it moving enough. So I'm, I'm going to give it, I'll give it a, a mild recommendation. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I'll, I'll call out, we've talked about the performances, of the two main leads, but um, I'll go ahead and say I really liked Paul Sparks, who played the bad guy. He played Mustache. Mustache, yeah. <laughs> I recognized oh, he him. He was good. He and was yeah, good. he was good. And it, I recognized him too from, he did a lot in the kind of the latter seasons of House of Cards. He played the oh, writer yeah. who yeah. was trying to write a biography mm-hmm. on the, the yeah. Underwoods. Um, so it was nice to see him kind of play, you know, a different role and to be like this huge bad guy. So that, Something where that he got to chew the scenery a little bit. So yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was fun. No, no, it was good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a mild recommendation. So, you know, it's on Netflix. If you have Netflix and you're looking for a good passable uh, hour or two of time with some, you know, it, it was a little, little on the violent side at, at times, but uh, you know, just so people understand that. And, uh, but, it, but it was also funny. So uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a good mixture. It, it, it's like the kind of film they, I think we used to get a lot more often, this action comedy movie we don't see as much of that anymore. I don't feel like I feel like it either is going too hard into comedy or too hard into action. And I think this is kind of a good balancing line right now. And uh, plus a little romance thrown into. So yeah, uh, that's, that's the lovebirds. You can find it on Netflix available now. And uh, we're both giving it a very mild foot candle recommendation. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our second film, which is another one that premiered online as is the case these days. It is the trip to Greece. Oh, that's convenient. Hello. I look better as I get older. Lots of women. Well, say I'm that. a man who's going to say it as well. I'm saying it. You look better older. Oh, thank you. You were unpalatable as a young man. We've not got much time left. You're going to miss me. It can be exhausting. Good God, you should meet you. I could do that. You could not. Let me swim to the sirens. Okay, you in. I best rest my shoulder. If you died, I would gladly try and resuscitate you. Are you waving goodbye to me? If we're all Greek actors, I'll stab you. That'll come easy. (laughs) How about you do a a sponsored silence now for charity? For 97 minutes, you forget what a self-regarding arse Coogan is in real life. My takeaway from that is he thinks I'm a brilliant actor. That's what you take away from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chris, in the trip to Greece, we have the fourth in the series of the trip films. We had the original The Trip, which was a basically a compilation of TV episodes that were done in the UK of the show The Trip. It was put into a movie format. Then we had the trip to Italy, followed by the trip to Spain. Now we have the fourth film in the series, the trip to Greece, supposedly the final one. But I thought they said that about the trip to Spain, too. So maybe I was maybe I was wrong in misreading that. But in this whole series, we follow actors, Rob Bryden and Steve Coogan, playing themselves as actors who are now uh, journeying and traveling for a uh, for a, a magazine, writing up articles for a magazine, I think is the premise. I think that's the, the premise, films. yeah. Being sent on assignment to go write up. Although I feel like every film that goes along, they get further and further removed from that premise. And it's really, truly <laughs> just 
let's just put them in a different country and get them talking around some good food and in some different scenic locations. Sure. And this particular one, the, the premise is that they're being assigned to travel from Troy to Ithaca following in the footsteps of the Odyssey. Directed by Win- Michael Winterbottom, who has directed all four of these. Directing I will use loosely because I do feel like these films are really more about let's put a camera in front of Rob and Steve and let them talk over some really nice meals and see what happens. And that seems to be more of the case here. Um, the formula is still very much intact from the previous three films. Chris, so my question to you with this, knowing that this is, I mean, I've had to even remind myself which film was which because they're pretty much all very, very similar in the formula. My question to you is this being the fourth in the series has the formula ran out at this point, or do you, did you still find enough gas in this, in this, uh, in this setup and this type of film and this, fitting uh, the two characters into the formula. Was there enough there to keep this series going for a fourth series? Or did you feel like the gas was out of the tank and it was just uh, running on fumes at this point? I mean, I think there was enough there for me. This was a worthwhile return to the series. I kind of like you, the way they ended the trip to Spain, it was kind of like Coogan was going to be abducted by by some um, outlawish, you know, bad looking people. He was kind of stuck by himself on a road and it was like these bandit type people were coming up and he was, didn't look good for Steve. He knew. Kind of, yeah. So it was an interesting way to end that film, which, you know, was ostensibly the same as the other films where it was a road movie, but it had bits of comedy thrown in there. Um, so to come back with this one and they kind of sidestep that story, I mean, they kind of reference it, but it, it's like, Nope, everything's back to normal. They're going on a trip in Greece and they're wandering around just like the other three movies. Um, but, you know, the, the plot to these movies is basically it's non-existent. I mean, all it is is them traveling around and eating food. But I really enjoy spending time with Steve Coogan and Rob Ryden and their relationship and how, which you assume, you know, they did work together in real life as part of a comedy team. They, you know, had some television shows in England and um, just the way they can kind of needle each other and they know where the other person's weakness is, but yet they're always being funny, but they find new ways to kind of, I don't know, poke at the other person. And that to me Mm. is, is entertaining. Um, Something they did with the trip to Spain, which they did again in this film and it worked as well. You know, it's kind of an extra little device or a plot that they try to weave in trip to Spain. They kind of referenced um, Don Quixote kind of that whole was kind of the theme with Spain, which makes sense. And for this one, as you mentioned, they do the whole Odysseus thing and the mm-hmm. being away and traveling back home because of a death and because of returning for more. So in this one, they kind of weave that in at certain points, kind of focusing specifically with Steve Coogan mm-hmm. and something that's happening with his father. And they, um, those segments are done in black and white and they're kind of with it. And I mean, maybe it's a little forced, um, it's kind of black and white. To me, it kind of was like Seventh Seal, Ing- Ingmar Bergman-looking type Very stuff. Very Bergman-like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it it worked enough because when they would come back and you would have to address with Rob Ryden what was going on in his personal life, there was enough weight. And you see the differences between Coogan's personal life and Rob Bryden's personal life. And I don't know, there's enough weight there that it worked for me. But I will say, even though I wouldn't be upset if they said the trip to Hickory, North Carolina was coming out next year, <laughs> um, 
which I, you know, am ready for. Yeah. But um, we got some great food lined up for them to be we eating. We did. We did. Yeah, yeah. And they can just all, yeah. <laughs> but um, they can just get down 127 and hit the different exactly. Yeah, go like down the highway, just hit each of the restaurants. Perfect. Yeah, it may be more like half an hour instead of like an hour and a half. Down. Yeah, could be. But I, I feel like this is a good end. Um, because the other one maybe was too dismissive. Spain was too kind of an abrupt end. I mean, maybe they were trying to make it comic by doing that. But this one kind of had a seemingly more capstone natural into it. So I, I liked it. What what are your what are your feelings on? Well, Chris, this is so tough because okay, here's the thing. I enjoyed watching this. Now have you seen you've seen all of them? No. Okay. That's the whole thing. I was actually gonna say I've seen the first one. Oh just I the didn't first see one. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't see it. I didn't even know there was a third one for a while. <laughs> I think, I think when you were in here the office a while back, we were talking about our plans for this. I think I even said, yes, yeah, is the third one in the series, right? Okay. The trip to Greece. Got it. I had forgotten there was even a third one. This is the fourth one. Um, it didn't matter. I mean, it does not matter. Yes. There was nothing I lost or gained. I feel like from watching the previous two, but I know what each film is like. I mean, I know sure. the tone. I know what they're doing. <sighs> This is a film where I find myself kind of frustrated by the end because I enjoy so much the banter, the dialogue, the scenes between the two, between Rob and, and Steve. Love it. Ab- absolutely love it. Love all the impersonations. I love all the commentary they make about each other's career. Mm-hmm. I like everything. They're even reflecting on their age, reflecting on their health, reflecting on their relationships. I love all of that. Okay. I just don't understand why it's in a film. I, I, to me, these are things that I'm perfectly happy if I was watching a 10 minute video snippets that would just come out as almost like a small podcast series or something. Give me that. But trying to couch it into an hour and a half, almost two hour long film. I'm just at the end of the film. I'm like, why? I I don't understand. I understand. Okay. I get it. I get why they made these films. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. These two people like working together. They have a great banter between each other. Who's going to turn down the opportunity to go to Greece for a few weeks and film this and spend most of my time sitting at a dinner table, eating some really great food and just bantering. Oh, I get why they make the films, (laughs) but me watching it, I'm, I'm struggling to find some other reason for it to be in a film and I can't find one. All I find are some really great moments and dialogue between these two characters, the relationships they have in the film you mentioned about a death and a kind of a a family situation going on the way the film ends, all that is, it just kind of meaningless to me at the end. It's Mm. all about the dialogue and the scenes between them, which I absolutely love. So if you had shared this to me as a podcast series, 10 or 15 minute episodes with Rob and Steve, and they're having the same kind of dialogue, I would eat this up. I would enjoy every single moment of it. Hmm. But I feel like we're getting actually further and further away from the premise of the film. I mean, yeah, there was some scenery, but I don't really think they did anything with the scenery. It was like the scenery was kind of there and it was more just the backdrop for them having these great conversations. So Hmm. I'm really torn on this whole series, Chris. I love these two people. I love their dialogue. I love their ability to, to, to play off each other like they do. I love the impersonations. I love everything they're doing. I just don't understand why it's in a film. I don't understand why it's an hour and 45 minutes continuous feed trying to force it into this conceit of a travelogue when 
it's not. But anyway, that's but, I, I'm a little yeah, ambivalent I, to the whole I thing. I hear what you're saying, but for me, I I totally disagree. Um, mm. I think it helps that I've seen all of the films. Um, you saw the first one yeah. and didn't bother to see the second or the third. So that kind of tips your hand at, yeah, maybe it was amusing, but I don't need to see it for a second and third time. And then here comes the fourth time. Um, to me, it kind of serves as several things. Um, I do feel like the film showcases enough of the locations and the places they're traveling. And they do, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of it's factual. A lot of the information that Steve Coogan will spout off enough or spout off about because he wants to seem, you know, intelligent and Rob Bryden, like, you know, clearly he plays the buffoon and like he doesn't know what he's talking about or doesn't know any of the facts that he'll say. Um, so I enjoyed learning about, you know, Greece or Spain. Um, and then, you know, the, some of the, the food that they show, you know, I like seeing the visuals of all that. So a podcast wouldn't really capture that. And something that I also, I kind of mentioned how I enjoy seeing them spar with one another and their facial reactions and how you assume you don't know. Sometimes Coogan is actually getting really irritated with Rob Bryden. <laughs> well, when I say a podcast, it could be a video podcast. Okay. I mean, I believe me, I love watching them or a YouTube series or something like that. I guess it's just the conceit of putting it into a film for me didn't work, but I love the moments and the scenes. And again, if you just gave me a super cut and just showed Hey, here's a YouTube channel. And it's all Rob and Steve doing uh uh, over dinner and just having these dialogues and conversations, man, I would love every moment of that. But again, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Visuals do, 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 do uh, play a part of it. And I think the visuals help, but again, I, I hear what you're saying. I think you and I just kind of disagree on this, but yeah. Sorry. I interrupted I you. There. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah. It's interesting though that, yeah. I mean, I guess, you're saying it, you feel like maybe it'd be a comedians in cars getting coffee type thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what, you know, that's why you, when you watch yeah. that Jerry Seinfeld series, you just want to hear the dialogue between Jerry. I mean, maybe you're watching it for the car. Yeah, not really. The car is more of just there to kind of be the reason for them to get together. Uh, you're really watching these things because you want to hear these two comedic actors or comedians talking and having very open, great dialogue. And that's what I love about, these films I've seen so far is I do love the dialogue. I mean, I'm openly laughing out loud, even here by myself watching the film. So it obviously worked from a, having a great comedy behind it or having some really great insight from these two people. Again, I just, my wrestling is just forcing it into the same formulaic film and just changing the location. And then again, you know, you had some relationships here that, I mean, Steve Coogan kind of had a little bit of a passing relationship at one point in the film that. See, I think to truly appreciate that you need to have seen all the films because they, they do build off one another. The, the yeah. trip, the trip was basically, you know, them just sparring with one another with a little bit of relationship stuff. Some stuff happens with Steve's family or Steve and his kids and stuff in the second movie. And some stuff happens with Rob. Like, so each kind of, yeah. it, it kind of builds. And I think without the second and third stage, you kind of miss out on maybe some of the weight that you would understand or would feel more of if you'd seen the prior thing. It's kind of like, you know, this totally different type of film, but yet it does build. 
like Linklater's before trilogy. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds so, very similar to that. Right. I couldn't just hop into the third one and get a full enjoyment of it. So no, because you would know like, Oh, I get it. It's, you know, the two people that met each other in Paris. You're like, it is, but there's some through line yeah. stuff that, you know, well then I guess what we're saying though, Chris, is that you have a greater appreciation for this as a film because you've seen the whole series. You've right. gotten more emotionally invested in it. Me, if I was the casual moviegoer and just flipping through shows to watch on, on online nowadays, I would caution against this film watching it if you have not seen the previous ones. Um, because I don't think it, I guess, you know, from what I saw and what I experienced, I did not get that connective tissue. I did not understand the impact of relationships and all. Gotcha. So that would have meant more to me if I'd seen all three. So. This is one of those films where, you know, sometimes when you have to review it, it's, it's a question of do you review it on your on its own merit or do you review it as part of a larger series that you need to watch all the other ones? And I, I do think it's it's tough to review this as a standalone film because I don't think it I don't think it holds up on its own as just a standalone film. It needs to be seen in concert with the other ones, which is something people need to understand before they go jump in to watch this. So. This is one of those films where, like you said, I think you do benefit from seeing the other three, especially if you want like a strong narrative. However, you know, if you just like a travelogue with some beautiful scenery and you like to watch people eat food, it's something that would be like on the travel channel or something like that. You know, it's, um, but but I will admit this film is trying to do more this time than what I remember, even with the initial trip movie with some of the family dynamics going on, especially late in the film. I mean, the last 15 minutes, um, definitely goes more the dramatic route than it does, it does. you know, a travelogue or comedy or anything like that. So it's, um, yeah, I could say you could watch it as a travelogue, but I think, I think people who have not seen the previous films are just going to wonder what, why they should be feeling any sense of emotion in the latter stages of the film, which the film is obviously going for right. and why you should care about any of the relationships going on in the film. Again, if you've invested the previous four to six hours of watching the previous films, I guess it all just kind of build and there, there's some sense of payoff for it, but um, it, it's a little tough. Again, I feel like this is the film. I mean, Grant, just what I've heard you talk about with the previous two and the, what I saw in the initial one, this one to me seems to be the most furthest removed from the travelogue mode um, and tries to go with more of a story, Sure, tries to go with more of a development. And again, I just think it's going to be tough to watch unless you're a big fan of the previous ones. Right. And for me to, um, to really call, you know, I don't want to ruin anything if people are going to see the film, but each one of these films has had certain moments. A lot of them, we haven't even referenced them in this review, but a lot of it is the impressions that they'll inevitably get into. Each film has it at some point, they just kind of do battling impressions, whether it's Marlon Brando or whether it's Mick Jagger or whether you know, it's just different yeah. people. And I really enjoy seeing them do that. Even if sometimes they reference like British TV show hosts who I have no idea who they're doing. And I'm sure that they're really good impressions, but it's still funny to see how they respond to, you know, how they respond to each other doing it. Um, so that's, you know, that's just something I, I think about and I kind of return to in my head little moments. I don't want to be like a Chris Farley oh, yeah. and say, Oh, my favorite part was this. Oh, my favorite part oh, yeah. was this. But in each film, I can always remember. Yes one part of each film that I always like is the impression battle, but you know, the <laughs> Rob Bryden talking about Grease the musical oh, and yeah. Steve Coogan referencing so Grease the country and getting, you can tell he's, 
he's, I mean, you think, you never know because it's a fiction film, but kind of agitated, irritated with Rob because he's like, oh, he's trying to make a joke and I don't think it's funny or I think it's really lame and how Bryden continues to carry it on. Like, I think about that exchange all the oh. time since I've seen the film. <laughs> so. I, that exchange and uh, the the Dustin Hoffman filmography. Yeah. <laughs> all of that is classic. Again, I yeah. will go back and watch those moments over and over again. But again, I don't need it to be in the context of a larger film. I'm happy to see that five to 10 minutes of, of dialogue and impersonations and they, they stand alone and they work so well. So no, I actually think the impersonations might've been cranked up to 11. This movie, I, I feel like there were like seven or eight scenes of them doing different dialogue. They do the Marlon Brando. They do Mick Jagger. They do, uh, like you said, a lot of people, I, I didn't Tom even know Hardy. who they were. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, a lot of people, I had no idea who they were. Yeah. Actually. Tom Hardy with, um, uh, Steve Coogan doing his uh, Laurel from the uh, Stan and Laurel movie. Yeah. That was, I mean, again, a lot of really funny moments. And again, I, I I look forward to watching some of those scenes again. It's just, again, it's just my whole wrestling is just in the context of an hour and 45 minute film. I, I just struggled to find the reason why, why I needed to watch this whole film and why I couldn't just watch the, the great dialogue scenes on YouTube afterwards. You know, that's the whole thing for me. Also, I'll briefly say too, kind of in closing, another thing that I, I appreciate is it's kind of a film nerd's film because you threw out the fact that Coogan is referencing you know, the character he played in the Stan, Stan and Laurel, Laurel Hardy mm-hmm. movie. And yeah. like, I've seen that. So I know yeah. what he's doing and I know how he's referencing it. And I think it was either Spain or Italy. I think it was maybe Spain he references Philomena nonstop, which is a movie mm-hmm. that he made and actually got a lot of acclaim for. And Bryden makes fun of him for that. And there again, that was a movie I'd seen and I was aware that Coogan helped write it and, and he started it. So it's like, you know, you, it's kind of like an inside baseball. It's, it's a, it's a film fans film because if you're aware of all these things, that kind of helps your appreciation. And I enjoy it because I'm like, ah, I got that reference. You know? <laughs> so oh no, I love that stuff too. And then again, share it with me as a five minute, uh, video. I'm all about it again. It's just, uh, I need some help and maybe it, maybe it's enough for me to go back and watch the other two I missed. I need some help just understanding why this exists as a film, like a hour, 45 minute film with character development and with relationships and with all that and drama, which I just, I don't feel like it earned any of that on its own. And I just think it's fair for people to know that if you're going to go into this and you're wanting more than just those great fun moments of dialogue, uh, you probably need to see the rest of the films. It sounds like to greater appreciate it. Like I probably needed to do. So, all right. Well, I think we've kind of picked this one apart. So uh, it sounds like we're a little split again. I, 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 I think we film. are. It's a tough film for me to review because I do love the moments. I love the dialogue scenes so much. It's just, it's almost like, it's almost like Chris, as soon as they cut away from the dialogue of them sitting at the table, having these great interactions, as soon as they cut away and they're walking down the street or they're somewhere scenery, I kind of just lose interest. I'm like, all right, get back to sitting down and talking again, or get in the car again and talk about the Bee Gees or whatever. That's where I, <laughs> that's where I was to be. So um, it's tough. I, I'm going to say as a film, I'm not a fan as uh, enjoying the dialogue and the scenes and the moments. I love every bit of it. So it's a, it's a tough thing to review and tough thing to recommend, but you're, you're, you're saying it continues the trend. You like yes. all four of the films. 
I did. So you're happy with that. So. Yeah, I, I, don't, I can't say, because I didn't have a chance to go back and review all the, the previous three. I can't say it's my favorite of the four that have been made, but I definitely recommend it if you like the, any of the other films. Then I think, and I think it's a worthwhile you know, conclusion. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's The Trip to Greece, and it is available online through Apple, uh, Apple TV or Google, uh, Amazon, any of these places that play movies. I, I lose track of all the places you can get movies now, but there's tons of them. It is available out there for rental or purchase either way. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hit some movie news, and we're also going to uh, give our recommendations at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll be back in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you again. We just finished our reviews of the films The Trip to Greece and The Lovebirds, both of them available online for your viewing pleasure. Uh, we both gave mild recommendations to The Lovebirds, a little more split on The Trip to Greece where Chris enjoyed it and thought it was a worthy addition to the series. I struggled with it more as a standalone film and caution anybody watching it that you probably need to be invested in the whole series to truly enjoy it. Um, but now let's move on to some news. Before we do, Chris, just want to give a quick little plug. You and I are involved in a little project every year, as we have been for the last five years, and this will be our sixth year now. We're looking at the Foot Candle Film Festival. Uh, it's going to be coming up the last weekend in September. I believe that's the 23rd through the 27th. Did yes. I get those dates right? You did. Okay. And uh, that'll be our sixth annual uh, festival. We do have it coming up in Western North Carolina, more specifically in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, Chris, could be an interesting year for us. We're not quite sure exactly how the festival is taking shape in terms of uh, in-person venue versus online or a combination of the two. But uh, we will be giving out some information about the festival here in hopefully the next several weeks explaining exactly how the festival is going to be going down, right. but uh, it should be very interesting. No matter what we do, regardless, whether you are uh, someone who's going to be wanting to come into Hickory to visit with us, if we're having the festival in person, or if you're interested in hopefully being an attendee from your own home, which looks like it may be an option for us. Either way, all that information will be announced about the festival in uh, mid July. I believe, or by mid-July, mm -hmm. with the festival taking place in late September. So stay tuned. Uh, keep your eye on footcandlefilmfestival.com, the website. It's where we'll be promoting and announcing all the uh, films and also explaining how our festival is actually going to work this year. So uh, it's a weird time to be promoting the festival, but we're going to keep doing it. It is. And normally you would also hear me say that uh, we're accepting submissions, but they actually just closed today when we're recording this episode. Yep. So um, we've got all the films in that we can handle right now, along with the scripts for the competition. But uh, if you're wanting to submit something, they'll open back up in November. So um, yep. too late now, but uh, you'll have another chance for next year's festival. Yeah, but please cycle around with us for the 2021 festival next year. Uh, yeah, that submission process, like Chris said, will open in November of 2020. So uh, plenty of time uh, here in the coming months to still submit a film for the next year um, with that. But yeah, please stay tuned. Foot Candle Film Festival.com. 
is where we will announce and promote the festival in whatever form and shape it will take, depending on both state regulations at the time and just overall uh, comfort level of people for a festival. Um, yeah, Chris, it's just it's just weird. We will we'll find out what's going on here soon. I think we, you know, it's going to depend a lot upon uh, Wes Anderson's schedule and if he can come and be there for the Q&A for the French Dispatch, which right. is going to premiere at our festival in September. Now, now oh, Chris, <laughs> you're going to be taken so out of context. People are going to be online now saying, oh, did you hear that? The French Dispatch, uh, Wes Anderson is being premiered in Hickory, North Carolina. Yeah, and, uh, just saying it doesn't make it true. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's uh, yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, I know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, let's get into our news, Chris. This is where we like to kind of talk about some news items that have come up. Again, we're in a weird time where there's not as much movie news as there normally is. Uh, There's also not as many releases, so we don't have a lot of new trailers to look at, or at least people are holding back on releasing films or, or announcing films. But we do try to comb the Internet and find some interesting movie news that we do want to share. Chris, I believe you have an item to start us off. I do. Um, Alan, I believe you have seen Hellraiser. Is that a true statement or a false statement? Yeah, I have. <laughs> now, have you just seen like the original that came out or have you seen the yeah. subsequent? Oh, um, no. Sequel? I'm definitely not a, I'm not a, a, a devotee of the Hellraiser series. I, uh, I've seen the first one okay. and was more on a, hey, look, we're trying to watch something. It's Halloween time and here's ah. something we don't ever remember seeing when we were younger. So let's go ahead and watch it. And uh, gotcha. yeah, it was, <laughs> it was not my most pleasant uh, movie going experience. Oh. I am not a fan of gross. It has horror. a lot of gore, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Like torture yeah. type stuff going on. Yeah. And that's yeah. not, that's not me. That is not my deal at all. So I'm, I'm not a big fan. I'm well, fan. I have not seen it, but I have seen the Halloween masks for years that, yeah. Are based off the central character Pinhead. Pin Pinhead. Yeah, but um, well, which I don't think that's his actual name in the movie. I really? think that's just the nickname that he's been oh, given cool. over the years. I think so. <laughs> okay. Granted, maybe he was named that in the in the sequels, but I don't remember him being actually referred to as Pinhead in the original movie. Huh. Interesting. Well, um, so they have now decided HBO has decided they are going to make a Hellraiser series. And they have attached David Gordon Green, who was, you know, doing the mm-hmm. Halloween reboots. And he has two more of those coming out with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. But he is going to overhelm kind of a series of uh, Hellraiser that's going to come to HBO. So gauging your interest in the original Hellraiser that you have seen, I have not, doesn't sound like you're going to be too keen on maybe watching a Hellraiser series. <laughs> well, no, I can't even say that because honestly, uh, you know, the problem, the thing that I, the problem I had with Hellraiser is that the genre of film was not a genre I'm a fan of, but you know, this whole idea of basically, if you don't, if you never saw the original Chris, the whole story idea is that you have this wife who's an unfaithful wife. She's encountering the zombie of her dead lover. Okay. Dead lover is like talking to her and she's having encounters with him. Hmm. And then these demons are, or pursuing him after he escaped from their underworld. So it's like she had a relationship. This man uh, is dead. He comes back as a zombie to kind of try to get help from her. Hmm. And he's escaped this underworld and she's having to kind of deal with all this. It's interesting concepts. It's yeah, very, it's very high concept stuff. 
So you take a, 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 I think an interesting director, not always a director that's always been on the hit side of thing. He's done his fair number of misses, but he's definitely tried to always do interesting things. Right. And, you know, even taking what he did with the Halloween reboot, uh, just in the last couple of years, which I like, which I, I, was a fan I did. I thought it was actually pretty good for a Halloween film. He took the genre and did something a little different with it or tried to bend it just a little bit and have some fun with it. Right. Um, if he can do that with Hellraiser, I'm all for it. I, uh, I think it was just, you know, Clive Barker was the writer director. It was just the over emphasis on gore mm-hmm. and just disturbing imagery just didn't work for me, but, um, maybe taking this and doing something a little different with the, the, the concept I'm all for. And I, you know, the thing that interests me, cause I hadn't seen the original Hellraiser, but I saw David Gordon green and I'm like, okay, I'm interested. <laughs> and yeah. what, what's also curious to me is, you know, David Gordon green made George Washington and all the real girls and snow angels, a lot of dramatic films, Joe, and you know, all these dramatic films. And then he kind of, he made a lot of comedies that didn't some of the, you know, your highness, um, the sitter, a Pineapple Express, which I liked. Um, but, you know, it's just really weird kind of how he kind of went to just straight out comedies for a while. And now it kind of seems like he said, you know what, I'm just going to dabble in horror for a while. So it's um, bizarre, but he always does, you know, interesting stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what I, before we go away from the news item, I will also mention there is supposedly a film adaptation also being made, kind of a reboot of Hellraiser that's going to come out. And this one, I don't know who it's going to be directed by, but it's going to be written by David Goyer, who worked on the Nolan Batman series, as, as well as working on Blade. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know if both of those are going to end up hitting at the same time once production yeah, can open back up. Um, but just interesting that Hellraiser is suddenly getting a lot of attention. Yeah, well, speaking of David Gordon Green, so you you mentioned the you know the horror films he's done, which obviously again yeah, he's done the Halloween reboot. Mm-hmm. He's got two more Halloween films kind of queued up to go, right? And now he's targeting this uh, Hellraiser TV show for HBO. Um, in between, he's he's still doing comedy stuff, you okay. know, he, but mostly on TV side. Mm-hmm. He did the Righteous Gemstones. I think he wrote uh, directed four episodes of that okay. for HBO. Uh, Dickinson, an Apple TV property couple episodes of that hmm. and then a show that i watched i'm just now even realizing he directed i had no idea he directed some episodes of this on also on apple tv is mythic quest raven's banquet that is a a video game like workplace comedy hmm. that um okay. i watched and and then liked i thought it was a fun show and he directed three episodes including the pilot of that so i had no idea hmm. so it's almost like he's really digging deep into this whole tv especially with apple tv seems to be a interesting a place he's kind of honed in on a little bit too so anyway okay interesting stuff he's always a director that's doing something interesting you know even if i'm not always the biggest fan of everything he does i like following what he's doing you know, i think he's got a very eclectic uh, body of work which is great okay and i'll throw out there and this may have been a news item like three or four years ago now because we've had you know a couple of episodes of this show have come out over the years um but at one time he was rumored to be developing a script for a film version of little house on the prairie oh i remember that yeah i remember hearing um, that and i would love to see what he would do with that if you did a little house on the prairie, but almost did it a little more bleak, a little more meeks cut off type mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, just real true. Like 
or you take it complete comedy. I mean, you could go either way with it and have fun with it. So uh, yeah. it'd be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let me, um, let me take us back to the world of comic book movies. You remember those, right, Chris? Yes. You remember how they were all the rage for a while. And then all of a sudden this thing hit this pandemic and now every comic book movie has delayed at least a year. So we're going to go quite a while without anything new to, to watch. Well, um, lo and behold, HBO Max is here to save the day. Oh. Um, HBO Max is the new HBO branded streaming service to kind of compete with Netflix and Apple TV and Amazon Prime and all this. And we have HBO Now, HBO Go, and now we have HBO Max. All right. Let me explain this to you, Chris, because <laughs> I, I, took a, I took a class in this. And I understood now the differences. Yeah. HBO is your I'm on cable and I've got my HBO channel where it's a linear watching live channel. Gotcha. HBO now is that's if you are an HBO subscriber, okay. but you want to be able to watch the stuff on demand on your own device. So not on your TV, if you're, you want to watch on your laptop. Well, you can watch on your TV too, but okay. you are an already an HBO cable subscriber. Okay. I think HBO go, which I have is you get all the HBO shows, but you're not an HBO subscriber. You're just paying a monthly fee to get access to the content, much like a Netflix type of thing. Okay. HBO Max, I think, is a whole different service that is uh, really building up a huge library of new and older content. Where HBO stuff changes every few weeks, you know, you kind of have to see what's on there. This is just building a huge library of stuff. They're building in old TV shows that they bought and got access to. Okay, so it's not just but, HBO Max is not just original correct. HBO content like correct. Game of Thrones yeah. or something. Okay. Huh. It's a whole bunch. They build in like classic TV shows. They've got older, newer movies, a whole mixture of stuff. Hmm. Anyway, all that doesn't matter. <laughs> HBO Max sure. just debuted, I think, in the last week or two. Now, Chris, Justice League is a movie you and I reviewed. Terrible. Neither of us liked it. No. Um, I thought it was dull. I thought it was pointless. I thought it was not fun at all. Horrible villain. Everything I can remember about that, it. That was our first... Um, look at Wonder Woman, correct? Because that came out before. No, no okay. We'd already nope. seen Wonder Woman nope. in her own movie, and then that came That's out. Correct. And it was Aquaman. Um, it was Aquaman that we got to correct. see in that. Okay. Although Aquaman, I think, debuted a little bit in, uh, well, Batman versus Superman. You kind of got teasers of all the characters. Okay. And you introduced a Wonder Woman. Gotcha. Then the Wonder Woman movie came movie. out. Okay. Yeah. Then the Justice League movie came out. Then Aquaman came out. Gotcha. Anyway, Justice League didn't enjoy it. No. A lot of people did not like it. It was critically panned, kind of considered a flop, didn't make as much money as it should have. But that was a, there was some drama involved in the production of this film. Zack Snyder, the director and writer of it, who had done the Superman movie, Man of Steel. He did Batman versus Superman. He did Watchmen, uh, he's kind of separate. True. He's kind of the shepherd of the DC movies. You know, at that point, the DC Extended Universe or whatever they called it. And uh, halfway through production and shooting, he had a family trauma, a death of a daughter, I believe. And so he left the production, rightfully so, understood. They brought in um, someone to try to fix it. And this was where they brought in the same person who had been brought in to handle the uh, the Marvel uh, side of things. That was Josh Whedon. Right. Or jo so he came in and basically took over director duties. Josh Whedon. Uh, shot some more scenes, did some edits to the film. That was the version that came out. So it was definitely credited to Joss Whedon as director in the end. 
Zack Snyder had shot and had his own cut of the film, supposedly. So since the Whedon version was not well received and everybody just kind of said it was kind of the death knell of the DC universe as we know it, because then they just started saying, we're just going to do independent films that are standalone that don't have to tie into each other and all that. So now you've got movies like Joker, you've got the Aquaman movie was pretty standalone. They're doing the new Batman movie, which has nothing to do with these other ones and so on. Right. But a huge online thing started, which is typically the case, people finding some time and wanting hey, to campaign for something. We're not the only people that talk about movies online. No, I actually found out there's a there's some other people. There are a few people online, especially on Twitter, that like to talk about movies. Oh. I was very fortunate to be able to find them. And uh, hmm. following what they're talking about, and of course we're joking, it's pretty much <laughs> almost all what people talk about on Twitter. Sure a hashtag was started this idea of release the Snyder cut ah, yes. this myth mythology about this version of justice league. That was actually the original vision of Zack Snyder shot, edited a cut of his film that supposedly was available or was, could have been available if uh, people had just worked on it a little bit more. So that been kind of a running joke, release the Snyder cut. Even the stars of justice league have been online kind of jokingly saying, yes, please release the Snyder cut. And uh, lo and behold, HBO Max announced last week that they are, in fact, actually going to be releasing the Snyder, Zack Snyder cut version of Justice League wow. on their service. Hmm. Now, I will tell you this, Chris. I did not enjoy Justice League. No. Um, and I think the main reason I didn't enjoy Justice League is because I didn't enjoy the Zack Snyder elements of Justice League. <laughs> it was dark. It was grimy looking. It just didn't have that sense of fun. I actually think personally the Josh Whedon moments were some moments of nice levity and brightness that I liked about the film. Interesting. But underlying, I thought overall the Zack Snyder vision was not one I'm a big fan of. Okay. So you tell me that they're going to release a cut of the film that is all Zack Snyder's vision for Justice League. I'm not terribly excited. Um, will I watch it? If somebody gives me access to HBO Max for a, a month or so for free as a trial, yeah, I'll probably watch it because sure. I'm more curious about it. I'm curious what's different. I'm curious if it actually turns out to be better for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it is a mo more coherent film with a more singular vision. I don't know, but um, I'm not terribly excited because the moments I did not like about Justice League, I'm pretty confident were because of Jack Zack Snyder's original vision of the film. Your thoughts? Any any feedback on this at all? You know, I I have seen that hashtag come up over and over and over again on Twitter. I'm just like, ah, you know, who cares? Whatever. However, like you said, if I had access to it for free, I'm not going to seek it out. I'm not going to get an HBO Max subscription just so I can watch the Snyder Cut. Um, however, I've only seen Justice League once, like you. I think you've only yeah. seen it once. And I didn't like it. So if this came out... And if people said it was good, I'd be curious to be like, you know what? I'm going to watch it and see if I can even really tell that it's that different <laughs> from the original. I think I saw a little bit of buzz that they were saying that it may include entire characters that weren't in the original. Um, so I think it's more of like, I have to admit, it is kind of like a train wreck mentality. And this is something that I'm like, huh, could somebody with enough time, which he's had plenty of time and you know he's getting money from HBO Max, somehow turn this into something that's good? You know, a director gets to say, I get my say, I get to release my cut. 
I am curious, but I'm not going to plop down a lot of money. But I, I, I am curious. I do admit I'm well, curious. Well, I mean, I think it's a genius move for HBO Max. Sure. I mean, here's a film that it's kind of critic proof at this point. The actual movie Justice League already came out. And there are some people, people that like it. like it. There are some people yeah, that like there's it. Some, but I mean, this, this version is now critic proof. You don't have to worry about that. People are just going to watch it for the curiosity now more than anything else. Absolutely. You've got those people who are the hardcore fans that say, look, we thought the movie could have been better if it had stuck to the original vision. They want to see what that original vision looks like. You've got people like you and I that were not fans of the first version, but are kind of curious to see what this next version's like. Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a no brainer for HBO max. It's like, Hey, they get a whole lot of publicity. They get to take over Twitter for a few days promoting this thing. And when it does come out, which I think there's a date attached to when it's going to be available. Um, let me see when that is. When is well, the they said, okay, it's going to be 2021. So we're okay. still a ways off. Okay. Oh yeah. They're still a ways off. But whenever they do like officially say, look, here's the date and it's it's online now, you know, a lot of people who were not subscribers before are at least going to get a one month subscription just to check it out. Oh, sure. So. And I think, like you said, who the intern that put this idea before somebody like he probably has keys to the executive washroom now because, yeah, yeah. it's a genius idea, a perfect thing to try to launch a service. Or I, get a well, I can't think of anything else right now that HBO Max is known for except for this. So as a service, you've now got at least six months to build up this enthusiasm for this film and then a huge uh, online marketing blitz whenever it does get released. And again, whether it sucks or not, I mean, people are going to watch it. So that's the cool thing about all this is that they're, they're, they're definitely playing their cards right with this. Sure. All right. So that is Zack Snyder's justice league. Chris, I believe you have a, another news item. I do. And, uh, it kind of dovetails nicely because it is talking about another streaming service that has landed something pretty significant. Um, Disney Plus purchased the rights for the Hamilton movie and what this was going to be and is, is a fully filmed version of the hit Broadway play that was put together from three different live performances about two weeks before the original cast, meaning Lin-Manuel was doing Hamilton at that point, before the original cast you know, finished their run and left to do other things. It, Disney Plus bought it, so it was always coming to Disney Plus, but it was originally coming to Disney Plus October of 2021. And now, because, you know, people are looking for things to watch, some people say it's because of the success of The Last Dance on ESPN, which Disney also owns, which was the Michael Jordan documentary. It is now coming July 3rd. So it's like over 15 months early, which is, you know, kind of crazy. Well, wasn't it going to come to movie theaters though, too, when it came out in 2021? I think it was going to be kind of like a, you know, See, yeah, it I would be released in movie theaters and then Disney Plus yeah. would have it exclusively. They paid $75 million back in February for it. And yeah, I think there was going to be kind of a theatrical type run for yeah. it. But now they're just like, you that know That was what? my understanding is that the movie theaters kind of got screwed on this thing. So um, because they were banking on this being kind of a big theatrical thing they could show in the movie theaters next summer, 2021. Nice. And then, yeah, Disney plus was going to get it after that, but at least the theaters were going to have a go with it and be able to say, look, Hey, cool. Come buy your movie ticket and watch Hamilton up on the big screen and see the whole, the whole performance. Yeah. The Disney's like, yeah, no, let's go ahead and do it now. Um, well, again, and, and I think Alan a genius move. I think I think a very, very genius move. I'm excited to see it, but yeah. 
And Alan, you've seen the play and I have seen the yeah. play, but we haven't seen Lin-Manuel in the main role. And so you're saying you're interested in, in seeing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and plus when I saw it, I mean, I'm, I was, I didn't pay the highest ticket price I could. So I was pretty high up and, you know, even though I still obviously enjoyed it, could see it, I would love to see a really like well shot, um, close up version of it with Me great too. sound system and everything. So no, I'm, I'll definitely watch it again. I'm uh, very excited about it. And I am a Disney Plus subscriber right now. I've got enough reasons to keep me watching Disney Plus stuff. So this is yet another reason to keep it around for at least several more months. Uh, I just, again, I feel bad for the movie theaters that were kind of banking on this being a big event next summer. I was like, okay, now that's been taken away too. So um, maybe Trolls 3 will come out and the movie theaters can all open up to that or something. I don't know. There you go. I tell you what, Chris, and again, your, your news item kind of just couches into this whole bigger thing is I'm still just really curious to see what the state of movie theaters are going to be in the coming year. Because A, you know, you've got to assume they're going to open up the ones that can open back up, the ones that are financially able to open back up will, but what's going to, when, when are they going to open? Is it going to wait until the next big movie kind of comes out? And if so, will those first couple of big movies kind of have your sole attention at the movie theaters for a while? Um, I think everything's, Everything's very interesting right now. And then you got some films that are opting to go online instead. Could movie theaters just be left with only the big tent pole movies and that's it. All these smaller uh, films that only struggled to get screen presence. Are they just going to say, you know what? We've had our experience. We know what it's like to go online. Let's just go straight online and not even worry about movie theaters anymore. I don't know. I, so I know there's a lot of industries that have been affected by COVID-19 and everything going on in the economy but I feel like movie theaters are the ones that are going to have the most lasting long-term impact because of this. Yeah. They'll definitely That's be my one prediction. of the top ones. Sure. Because I mean, restaurants were severely hit and I feel bad for a lot of smaller restaurants, but restaurants are always going to be needed. Right. People are always going to want to go to restaurants. So restaurants are coming back. Sure. Uh, stores are coming back. Um, but to me, movie theaters are the one thing that people could say, yeah, I don't know if we need them back or not. And we just don't know what's going to happen. So anyway, it's very interesting stuff. All right. So Chris got our new news items out of the way. Why don't we go ahead and transition to the last part of our show where we both have give our film recommendations. So you and I obviously have been home a lot more the last uh, couple months, like many people have gives us a chance to catch up on some films or maybe explore some films we've been interested in seeing or go back in the vaults to find something. And, uh, if it's okay, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and go first. Sure. I'll kind of talk through my recommendation. Um, I help produce another show on our network called Country-ish, which is a uh, show with comedian John Reap. And uh, as I help produce that show, I get brought in sometimes to help with some movie reviews on that particular show. Of course, that movie, that show tries to go with this whole theme of country-ish, kind of a urban cowboy country, but not 100% country uh, trying to balance the line between metro and country. Gotcha. And uh, in, in when we talk about movie reviews for that that show, they're looking for films that maybe have a country theme to them or maybe more of a Southern theme, but yet are still bigger films or maybe having bigger stars to them. So the idea was to come, came up to uh, review the film. <laughs> and this will be a first time in me saying these words on the uh, the podcast here. 
to review the film, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Wow. So I will say I was not terribly excited about having to be a part of this review process. Um, I do remember this film coming out back in 1982. I remember it then as a 10-year-old kid that this was kind of the the holy grail of adult movies where uh, I would not get to see this movie, but I was extremely curious about it <laughs> as a 10-year-old male. And uh, Burt Reynolds starring in it with Dolly Parton. Uh, rated R film um, based on a Broadway, I think a Broadway play or okay. at least some sort of play. And, uh, but it was kind of a, a movie adaptation of, of this play. So here I am now much, much later, you know, 30 to 40 years later, and I'm being asked to watch this film. It is a musical uh, directed by Colin Higgins, who also uh, directed some other movies of the time back in the early eighties, some well-known films. Hmm. And of course, Burt Reynolds was kind of at the peak of stardom here in the early 80s. Uh, Dolly Parton obviously had been a, a, a mainstay in music, and then she had gotten into some films as well. I believe Colin Higgins, this director, also did 9 to 5, which is a film that kind of brought Dolly Parton into the film world for mm-hmm. us. So uh, The Best Little Horror House in Texas. Um, I did watch this, and I got to tell you, Kind of liked it. I kind of had a fun time with it. If you go into it knowing what it is and looking for the camp value in it, it was actually kind of a fun movie. So in the synopsis, the film is all about you have a town sheriff played by Burt Reynolds and a madam of a local uh, house of prostitution teaming up to stop a television evangelist from shutting down their house called the Chicken Ranch. That's kind of what it's known as. Gotcha. Uh, the TV evangelist played by Mr. Don DeLuise. Oh, Don um, DeLuise. <laughs> and I tell you what, he's the reason, he, he, he is one of the reasons to watch this film because okay. he is having a ball with his part. <laughs> the other reason to watch this film, Chris, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'll say there's a lot of reasons. I actually generally enjoyed some of the music. I thought a couple of the dance sequences and, and musical acts were, were fun. Very much a kind of a throwback to kind of those 70s and 80s. Um, if you liked movies like Grease and you like some of these other ones where, yeah, they're a little cheesy, they're a little corny, but they have fun with the musical interludes as fun. Uh, but the other reason to watch this, Charles Durning, uh, you may know him most as Warring Hudsucker from the Hudsucker Proxy. Gotcha. But he's been in tons of other films as well. He plays the governor, I believe, of the state of Texas. He is not in the film a lot. But he has a song and dance routine about two thirds of the way through the movie. Mm-hmm. That to me is a showstopper. It is so much fun. He actually got nominated for a Best Supporting Actor award for this film. Oh wow! He's only in the film maybe ten to fifteen minutes. Okay. But he is so good. Has so much fun with his song, <laughs> and uh, to me, it was it was a well worth the the price of admission for the film. Okay. So I will say, yes, content matter. Does it hold up as well here in the 2020? No, not really. Is it offensive at points? Absolutely. Um, is it a topic in a story that would not be remade today? Yes, absolutely. It is a product of its time. Sure. But if you want to watch Burt Reynolds, kind of the peak of his stardom, you want to watch Dolly Parton putting on a pretty good performance, I think, uh, you know, in the film. But then really Dom DeLuise and Charles Durning both just having a lot of fun chewing up the screen. Um, it's worth a watch. So I will say that. I want to say thank you to the other show for forcing me to watch it. And uh, I did enjoy it quite a bit. So I am recommending 
can't believe I'm saying it, but I am recommending <laughs> the best little whorehouse in Texas from 1982. Chris, uh, what is your recommendation? For before us? I do my movie recommendation, oh, yeah. sure. I'm going to say that those definitely going to be put on my list of movies to see because yes. I have a very odd but fond memory of going to the movie theater to see Tron, the mm. new Disney's Tron, and there was this gigantic cardboard stand-up of the best little whorehouse in Texas right next to the theater that was showing the Disney movie yes. Tron. And I was like, huh whorehouse like (laughs) as a kid i was like huh that's an odd thing to be like right there in the movie theater right next to disney's tron oh yeah so and i you know like you kind of you know teenage boy kind of curious but never saw it um so yeah see and i never had either so that's why i was so curious i will say on just one little note too sure uh it's really interesting to me i had a family member growing up that we used to go visit quite a bit who loved this movie and had the soundtrack on album that oh, wow. was played all the time. Oh, wow. I mean, all the time we went to go visit, this was being played for quite a bit. So even though I had never seen the movie, I knew the songs. And as soon oh, as the song man. started up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> oh, wow. I remember that one. So that probably made it a little bit even oh, more wow. enjoyable for me. So uh, huh. it is definitely a relic. I mean, Jim Neighbors is like your... <laughs> Your, your narrator of the film. He oh. opens and closes the film. And, Interesting. I mean, it's definitely a 1982 film. Right. But it's I, it's better than I, it's better than I would have given it credit for. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then actually, I'll tell you, without spoiling anything, doesn't end exactly, it doesn't end at all like I expect it to. Um, okay. I think you should, I think you should watch it, Chris, and we need to circle back and talk about this. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I definitely am, am curious, without a doubt. So, yes. great recommendation. All right, great. What have you got for us, Chris? So I'm going to recommend a film that came out uh, in 2019. And in my mind, it was competing, although I don't guess it was, but I, I think it was. Uh, it was competing with Booksmart, um, a movie which came and I saw and I was just kind of lukewarm on. It was a coming of age story about, um, well, not coming of age, but two high school girls that were finishing their senior year were going to go off to college, but still you're trying to figure out who they were and what they were going to do in life. And, well, the film that I'm going to recommend is Good Boys that came out in 2019. Oh, and um, right. I, you saw it advertised nonstop in the movie theater, so much so that I was kind of sick of hearing about it. And yeah. the premise is it's a group of young boys on the cusp of becoming teenagers, and they embark on this epic quest to fix a drone because they've messed it up, and there's subplots with these girls that – you know, have drugs that they've kind of gotten involved with. And, you know, it just looks like a, just a raunch, a raunch fest, kind of like super bad. And all they're doing is making jokes, you know, sex jokes or poop jokes or something like that. And not that those aren't in this movie, but um, (laughs) something about it. And it may have to do with the three leads, the young boys that play, you know, Jacob Tremblay, you know, him of the room. He was in that movie and was good in that. Yeah. Um, but he's one of the stars and he's one of the three boys. Their chemistry together is just really good. So it's kind of like a, you know, a super adult version of like Wonder Years because it has a lot of, you know, the humor is really good. And I found myself laughing a lot, even wow. though you know, some of the jokes have been spoiled by the trailer, but not all of them. 
Um, and so I don't even, I couldn't even tell you the trailer anymore. So I guess for me, every that, joke would be good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it is very, you know, hard R because there's lots of sex jokes and lots of inappropriate stuff, but I just found it to be genuinely funny and the chemistry between the three boys, you know, being best friends and trying to stand up for each other. It just, it worked. And to me, something about it, maybe because, you know, I remember being a young kid and trying to, you know, have best friends and everything. Something about it to me rang true and more authentic than I felt some of the stilted stuff that was going on in Booksmart, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I think, you know, Booksmart was also, to me, sometimes took itself too seriously and maybe had an agenda because it was, you know, it was more woman focused, which did make it unique. But this film is all about just having fun. I mean, it's just a comedy, it's not trying to do anything. Um, which made it kind of a lighthearted, fun watch. So, but a very yeah. adult, <laughs> a very adult mm. watch. Sure. Um, but yeah, and it was also the director Gene Stepinski, um, mm-hmm. first film by that director. So it was kind of a pretty good, you know, pretty good film to have it be your first film. So that's Good Boys, and it came out last year in 2019. Yeah, I was curious about this when it came out because I do like that Jacob Tremblay uh, from Room, and mm-hmm. uh, was curious to see this, but. I just didn't hear many people talk about it after after it came out. It did pretty well in the box office. It was, it was like number one for a couple of weeks or so. But um, and I was anxious to hear somebody else I knew talk about seeing it. So now that's happened. So it has now been added to my watch list. So well, thank there you, you go. for that. All right. Well, I believe that wraps us up for today. That's everything on our show list. So we did our reviews of uh, The Lovebirds and our review of The Trip to Greece. We had our news items where we talked about Hellraiser. We talked about Justice League, the Snyder Cut. And then we talked about, uh, gosh, what was the last thing you brought up? You brought up something else, Chris. Hamilton coming to Disney Plus. Oh, Hamilton coming to Disney Plus. That's right. Then we had our recommendations here, Chris, with Good Boys and me with, I got to say it one more time, the best little whorehouse in Texas. So that was our film recommendations for the episode. Chris, I'm sure people, as always, have thoughts, questions, opinions, ideas they want to share with us. So if so, how would they go about uh, reaching out to us? You can send us an email at info at themesh.tv and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. You can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. And then Alan and I both have accounts on Letterboxd, and that's Letterboxd without the last E. Um, And you can track what we're seeing and sometimes get short reviews on there. Absolutely. And again, as we mentioned midway through the show, we have the Foot Candle Film Festival coming up in September. We will certainly uh, keep everybody posted on kind of those plans, but we do know it will happen no matter what that last weekend of September, September 23rd through the 27th in whatever form it ends up taking. And, um, and then also, of course, you can follow along with what's happening with our film society, the Foot Candle Film Society. I'll be honest right now, not a lot because, you know, we are a film society that host theatrical screenings and discussions in a theater. And unfortunately the theaters are still not open. So until they are, we are on a little bit of a hiatus break, but uh, you can still visit footcandle.org to see at any time kind of what we have planned or scheduled with any kind of film screenings, especially once the theaters get to a point where it's it's comfortable and safe and, and people feel like we can open back up. We will start resuming our monthly film screenings and discussions series at that time. But we hope you enjoy the Foot Candle Films podcast until then, and hopefully even going past that point. Um, So for Alan Jackson, Chris Fry with the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line to a safe social distance.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. <laughs>